house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gent gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them. Repentance leading them to a, to not a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to FBC Online. So glad that you're here. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and I just want to say welcome and I'm really glad that you're with us as we uh, continue our worship service now with a time in God's Word. Uh, it's good to be back with you preaching. Uh, really enjoyed getting to hear from Pastor Kyle last week as he continued our series in the book of 2 Timothy. Really enjoyed listening to him. thought he did a great job walking us through the text. And now we're just going to pick up uh, where Pastor Kyle left off in uh, chapter 2, verse 20. So you can uh, go ahead, grab a Bible, and open up to 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 20. That's where we'll be as we uh, continue this fall sermon series we've called Onward, which is really just a march through the book of 2 Timothy, or little by little unpacking it and really seeing uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully into the future, to step out uh, in what's ahead uh, faithfully following Jesus. So as we get ready to jump in, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, the gift of worship that we can draw uh, close to you, sing to you, pray to you. Now uh, open up your word and God, we admit uh, that we need your help. We need your help to understand your word. Uh, these truths we know are, are spiritually discerned. So we need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us and give us insight and shape us and uh, form us into to men and women who look uh, more and more like you. So Lord, would you guide us? We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of surveys in recent years have asked the question, why are people, especially young people, leaving the church? I mean, what is it that's driving people away from the life of the church and away from a relationship with Jesus altogether. And if you read the research, you'll notice a couple of things and a couple of responses. Sometimes there are theological reasons people leave. They, they stop believing in the authority of Scripture. Uh, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in the exclusive claims of Jesus or the historicity of the resurrection. So there's sometimes theological issues, but often and probably more often what these surveys reveal is that people are leaving not because of theological issues, but because of people issues. So they're not leaving because of what the church believes 
primarily, but because of how the church acts. The people of the church, they say, were judgmental or mean-spirited, and that's why they wanted nothing to do with it. Or the people of the church were hypocritical or dishonest, or relationships were shallow, or people didn't really care about them, or people were were harsh, or or people uh, in the church would dismiss people who doubted or had questions or dealt harshly with people who were struggling. And so you see this trend, sadly, that sometimes people from church keep people from church. People are leaving, not primarily over theological objections, but they're leaving over how the people of the church treat people. And friends, that is a problem. That is a huge problem. And our text this morning in 2 Timothy is going to challenge us to consider not only what our message is and the truth we proclaim But as the people of God, what should our posture be? How should we as the servants of God act and treat other people? What are the things that should mark the people of God? There's going to be three things we see in the text that should mark the people of God. So let's see how Paul begins in verse 20. He says this, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. If you were with us last week, you remember that Kyle talked about these false teachers in the church that were were their teaching and their uh, attitudes were spreading like gangrene. And so in contrast to these false teachers, Paul is urging Timothy instead to be faithful, to serve God, to teach the truth, to live a godly life. And what we see here in verses 20 and 21 is just simply an illustration he uses. He says, in a house there are tools or items that are honorable used for special purposes. Okay, so in in the ancient world, like today, in a home, there would be vessels of costly material like gold and silver that would be quite valuable and used. And then there were other articles that were made of maybe wood or or clay, uh, cheap things, disposable things, cheap pots maybe that would hold water or or garbage, or or excrement even. They were nothing special. And so Paul is kind of pointing out that, hey, we want to be a a vessel of honorable use. We want to be a useful tool in the household of God. And he goes on to say that we can be made holy. We can be useful to the master. We can be prepared as people to do the good works that God has for us. And it makes me think, again, of, of my own house, And there are items in my house that are valuable, that are cherished, that are very useful to me. For example, this coffee cup. It says, world's okayest pastor. One of my uh, favorite possessions, but this mug is, is useful to me. I use it every day, practically. It brings joy and Uh, life to me as I drink coffee. I fill it up with sweet caffeinated beverages 
And it is a blessing to me. It's incredible. I love it. It's useful. But then, on the other hand, there are items in my house that are not as honorable, not as life-giving. For example, a trash can, which is literally trashy and used for trash and garbage. And it can be kind of smelly and not very honorable. And so Paul's point is, hey, which do you want to be? Do you want to be the the lovely, useful, life-giving tool like the coffee cup? Or do you want to be the trash can? Or if you have young kids, the, the diaper pail. The point is, we have a choice. Will we, as verse 21 says, cleanse ourselves? Will we move away from sin and false teaching towards the truth? And so here's point number one of, of what should the servants of God be marked by? What should we as the people of God be like? Well, point number one, God's servants should be intentional, right? Because we don't become useful tools in God's hands on accident. So are we purposefully and with intention seeking to be used by God? Saying, God, I want to be an honorable vessel. I want to be a tool in your hands. I want to be prepared to be used by you. And so Paul continues, he uses this image, and then he gives us two ways we can prepare ourselves to be used by God. Two steps we can take in verse 22. First he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And so very simply, two steps that that you and I can take today to be intentional in our faith. First, flee sin. He says, flee the evil desires of youth, verse 22 says. I want you to actively, Timothy, move away from sin. And he doesn't define what he means here exactly by the evil desires of youth. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's probably talking about Pokemon and Beanie Babies and TikTok, Harry Potter, so on. Um, Just kidding. Uh, what does he mean? Well, some think he's talking about like sexual sin that can be especially challenging for young people. So the evil desires of youth, sinful desires, sexual immorality, we can think of pornography and its impact today. Or, or in the context of the passage, he's talking a lot about people who are argumentative and proud and kind of harsh and like to stir up division and, and quarrels like many of us when we we're young, right? We have this pride, this uh, argumentative nature. We think we're right. We just say, if the rest of the world would just listen to me, everything would be solved. And so perhaps uh, Paul is saying, hey, flee that desire for, for, for pride, for recognition, to win arguments. That's not a sign of maturity. But perhaps he's left it vague here for a reason. Flee the evil desires of youth. Flee gossip. Uh, There's many things we could add in here. Slander, uh, petty arguments, the the vain desire to be uh, famous and recognized and get a bunch of likes on your social uh, media profile. Just flee those things. Flee sin. We have to take action and do this intentionally. The Bible is clear that that sin is real. And there will be desires that that come up in our hearts that maybe even feel quite natural to us. But but contrary to popular opinion, they are to be 
resisted rather than embraced. Because not every desire that comes up out of our hearts leads to life. So Paul says, Timothy, flee sin. Run away from those things. The biblical answer to these desires is, is repentance. To move away from sin. And so, uh, brothers and sisters this morning, maybe you are here and perhaps there is a sin in your life that you've been hiding that you've been allowing to grow in your heart. You've been keeping it in the dark. You've been giving in to those desires. And you need to confess that sin today. You need to confess it to God. You need to bring it to the light. You need to confess it to a brother or sister so that you can flee it. Don't just play around with it and let it remain. Run away from it, Paul is saying. But in the text, being intentional about our faith means more than just fleeing our sin, right? It's not just run away from the bad stuff. What does he say? He says, verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so don't just run away from sin. You have to run towards something else. So he says, pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace. Go after these things. Decide with intention to be about these things. Be a person marked by righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Notice these decisions take intention. Flee, pursue. Those are active words. But this doesn't just happen, right? We, we know that sometimes we want to have more faith or we want to uh, be more loving or we want to be more peaceful, but on its own, it doesn't just spring up in us. So how can we actively pursue these things? Well, the first way we can do this is we can spend time with Jesus. And I know maybe you expected me to say that, of course, the pastor, read your Bible, spend time with Jesus. Of course, he's going to say that, but, but really, it, it's, it's true. There's no substitute for a real, vibrant relationship with God. There's no substitute. And so if we want to grow to be more like God, we have to grow to know Him, spend time with Him, and enjoy Him and His love and His Word, and spend time with Him in prayer. That's how our hearts are changed the Holy Spirit then will begin to produce these character traits in us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit as we draw near to God. And so I ask you, how are you taking steps towards the Lord? How are you intentionally pursuing Him and investing in your relationship with God? Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in prayer? We all have to consider this question. And friends, we have a, a resource I'd love to give you that's called a gospel intro. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know where to start, or I'm kind of like exploring this faith thing for the first time. I don't really know what to do with all this. Uh, we have a 30-day kit that's called a, a gospel intro kit that will just walk you through some exercises of journaling, of reflection, of reading, that will help uh, you learn more about what Jesus and what the gospel is all about. And so if you're here this morning and you would like a copy of that resource, uh, fill out your connection card up in the top right corner. Let us know. We would love to get that in your hands so you can do this kind of self-guided uh, journey about understanding who Jesus 
is. Maybe that's an intentional step you can take this morning. But you notice that the second step we can take to pursue righteousness and love and faith and peace in the text, look at how verse 22 continues. It says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So pursue these things in the context of community, along with those who call on the Lord, along with other people who are seeking the Lord as well. And this just simply highlights the importance of the local church. We realize that we're following Jesus together. So I'm not just telling you, hey, go out there and figure it out on your own, you know, the self-directed education plan. No, I want you to, to come along with us as our church together seeks to follow Jesus. This is where we look to those who have gone before us. Uh, we look to those who are beside us, our peers. We look to those who are younger generations uh, following as well. All of us moving in the same direction, pursuing the Lord along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so, friends, this, this first point has all been about we need to be intentional if we want to be used by God. God wants to use us. God has plans for your life. God has good works he's prepared in advance for you to do and for you to walk in. So are you ready for them? Have you ever tried to uh, do a task around the house, but you didn't have the right tool? Like you had to like hammer something in and you didn't have a hammer, so you just like grabbed like the end of a remote or something and just started whacking it. Or you tried to cut something, but you didn't have a sharp knife, you just had a dull knife, you didn't have the right tool? Isn't it really frustrating when your tool is not sharp or ready or uh, when you don't have the right tool to begin with? The job often doesn't get done or doesn't get done right or can even be dangerous. So friends, if, if we, like verse 20 and 21, are called to be these useful tools, honorable tools in the hands of God, then we need to be intentional and prepare ourselves. Now, Paul continues. He doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 23. Here's where it gets back to what we started with. He says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Okay, and here's where we're, again, getting at what we talked about at the introduction to the sermon. Sometimes people are leaving the church, not because of theological issues, but because of people issues, because the people of God do not always obey these verses right here. Paul continues his thought from last week. Hey, don't be argumentative like these false teachers. Don't embrace godless chatter. Have nothing to do with these, like, foolish Silly side arguments that lead to quarrels and division. These like nitpicky teachers that were in their midst that want to just debate the, the smallest parts of the law. Just want to argue. Just want to talk down to people. I mean, go on Facebook. You'll see people like this. And Paul back then knew this was an issue as well, saying these false teachers are in your midst and this is what they're like. I don't want you as the Lord's servant to be like this. He says, don't be one of those people. So not only should God's servants be intentional, point number one, but point number two, God's servants should be kind. God's servants should be kind. Okay, look at verse 24 again. The Lord's servant, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be, say it with me, 
kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Friends, please memorize this verse with me. Okay, memorize this verse. Maybe quote it to yourself before you go on social media or before you attend a a family gathering or you're in a, a tense environment. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. This is so important. And friends, here's the deal. Sometimes today we think that the sign or the mark of Christian maturity is simply Bible knowledge. Someone who could quote the Bible. Someone who can, can win arguments. Someone who has good one-liners and just can kind of put people in their place. They're witty and they're sharp. And we think that's what a mature Christian look like, looks like. I mean, seriously, there are people, maybe some of you listening to this, or there are people in our society will, will look to sort of aggressive pastors and say, those are the really serious pastors. Those are the really godly pastors, the ones that are, that are militant, the ones that really just put people in their place. And Paul says, no. That's not what Christian maturity looks like. That's not what a servant of God is supposed to look like. What's a, what's a real sign of Christian maturity? Because the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Kind to who? Uh, everyone. But what about the people who vote different than I do? I'm pretty sure that's included in everyone. End of verse 24. It says, don't be resentful either. This, this carries the idea of enduring evil, even enduring mistreatment. Someone being harsh with you, patiently endure that. Not becoming resentful, but continuing to respond with love and, and patience and so on. And so friends, kindness and love and gentleness is not a sign of weakness or immaturity. And sometimes we think that, don't we? Sometimes we think that someone who is kind or gentle must therefore be weak. But that's not how the Bible sees it. In fact, we know, don't we, that it's not always easy to be gentle or kind. That's something that we have to learn how to do. Right? I mean, any toddler knows how to flail their arms and throw stuff or hit someone when they're angry. We don't have to learn how to be aggressive. Have you ever seen a baby try to pet a dog? Right? Are they like really gentle? No, a baby's like whack, whack, whack. <laughs> we don't have to learn how to be de- aggressive. We do have to learn how to be gentle, how to be kind. So gentleness and kindness is a sign of maturity, a sign of restraint and self-control. And friends, I don't know about you, but I know more Christians who are Christians today, and they were, they were influenced by the kindness and love of other people. It was kindness and grace and, and warmth and love that, that led them to the church and to find Jesus. It wasn't harsh critics. It wasn't argumentative, emotionally immature people. Now, we do have to clarify here because it's possible to take this too far 
and say, well, well, here, look at this verse. I guess Christians should never argue or never debate or never speak up about important things. It'll just stir the pot and we're supposed to be peacemakers and don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. We're supposed to be kind and peaceful. But look at the text, right? What does verse 24 say? It says, yes, we're to be kind, but also it says we're to be able to teach. Verse 25 is going to continue and talk about how we are to uh, gently correct opponents, which implies, think about it with me, that implies that we will have opponents. (laughs) There will be people who disagree with how we view the world and what we believe is true. Today, uh, more than ever, truth claims are disputed, and people will push back when they hear the claims of the gospel. And so the text is not saying, hey, don't correct anyone, or don't stir the pot, or don't say anything people won't like. Instead, it's saying, hey, here is how you are to engage when those conversations come up. So it's not saying don't correct, don't teach, uh, don't engage in meaningful conversation. It's just saying when you do, do it with kindness. Do it with patience. Do it without resentment. Do it with gentleness. And so friends, this of course applies to pastors, but it also applies to uh, small group leaders This applies to uh, parents with their children. This applies to uh, any Christian, really, that's out in the world. And we're going to be in environments where maybe you're the only Christian in your friend group or you're the only Christian in your workplace. And you have to realize, how will I represent the Lord out in the world with kindness, with patience, and with an ability to correct and to teach and to share the good news about Jesus? Because the reality is this doesn't just apply to pastors because I'm not in your women's knitting group on Tuesday mornings. I don't know if there is a women's knitting group on Tuesday mornings, but if you're in one, I'm not, okay? And so you're there. I'm not on your rec basketball team, although I would accept an invitation if you need an extra player. I love me some basketball. You know, I don't go to your neighborhood block parties, you do. I'm not around your dinner table talking with your kids every night. You you are. And so this, friends, is a call to know the Word of God. As a follower of Jesus, to be able to share the message of Jesus, to teach the truth, to correct errors. And so uh, if you are a, a peacekeeper in the audience, like your nature is, I want to keep the peace, I don't want to ruffle feathers, then you need to see in the text uh, this truth that there will be times where you are to speak and teach and correct and share the truth. But if you are one of those truth tellers in the audience and lean more towards the argumentative side, then you need to hear this word about kindness and patience and gentleness. So God's servants should be intentional. God's servants should be kind. And lastly, verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape 
from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So God's servants should be intentional. God's servants must be kind. And lastly, God's servants should be hopeful. Did you see that in verse 25? Hopeful. Paul is encouraging Timothy, young Timothy, pastor in Ephesus, hey, engage these opponents, teach them, correct them where there is error with gentleness and kindness. And then verse 25, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So be hopeful that God can soften hard hearts. Be hopeful that God can change people, that God can bring transformation into individuals and in families. And I don't know about you, friends, but confessions of a pastor here, sometimes I can be so pessimistic when it comes to sharing the gospel. Sometimes I engage with people who disagree or who aren't Christians, and I can be so discouraged or pessimistic and maybe you can relate, right? There are just certain people and the uh, friends of yours or neighbors or, or family members, and you're just like, they will never become a Christian, right? You're just like, there's, I don't see any way. In my mind, there's, there's no way that they would receive the gospel and respond to Jesus. There's just, just no way. It's not going to happen. They're so far from it. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And I see that tendency in my own heart, this pessimism. And then I'm convicted because when I'm doing that, what I'm really doing is underestimating the power of the gospel. Friends, uh, recently I, I met uh, a photographer who was photographing a wedding that I was doing. I was doing the wedding and got talking to this guy after the wedding. And it seemed to me like he was like the spiritual, not super religious type, like open to spiritual things, uh, checked out church a little bit, liked kind of the positive messages that church would give, but wasn't like super dialed in or open to maybe the exclusive claims of Christ. And we, we talked a little bit, which was nice, and I just sort of put him in that box. Like, he's not seriously interested in Jesus' box. Like, would not get on board with the claims of the gospel box. And we, you know, had a nice time talking, and then that was that. And then fast forward, I haven't talked to him since, fast forward a few months later to this week, and I saw that he got baptized over at, at Northgate across town. And there's this little video testimony of him sharing the gospel, proclaiming Jesus and how Jesus had transformed his life. I just happened to come across that this week and I said, wow, praise God that he is now following Jesus, that Jesus has so clearly gotten a hold of his heart. But as I'm preparing the sermon, I got to it just hit me hard. The God pointed this out to me. He says, hey, here's this guy that you totally wrote off. You did not think there was hope for him to truly come to know Jesus. And look at the transformation I've worked in his life. Look at him proclaim my name before crowds and masses. I was convicted. I said, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me for thinking that you are too small. Forgive me for underestimating your power to change hearts because here's this guy that I totally wrote off and now here he is standing 
uh, before people online and, and elsewhere saying, I have been changed and transformed by the truth of Jesus. And so friends, the servants of God need to be hopeful. We need to be hopeful that God can change hearts. And so if you're cynical or pessimistic sometimes like I am, and you've heard people reject the gospel so many times or reject your invitations or don't want to talk about spiritual things or don't want to come to church or don't want to hear about Jesus anymore, I want you to remain hopeful. Remain hopeful. No one is beyond the reach of God. No heart is so hard that God cannot soften it. No one's beyond the reach of Jesus. And so verse 25 tells us to do teach and be kind and correct and share, not just to win an argument, but ultimately what? To win a person, a soul, someone who could come to know the Lord. Verse 26 says that person then would come to their senses, essentially sober up, see the truth of the gospel and escape from the snares of the devil that have held them captive. And so friends, let's share the gospel. Let's teach the truth in all kindness and gentleness and patience and love and point people to Jesus in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift. Faith is a gift. It's something that God gives supernaturally. Now, in regards to to pessimism, uh, Tim Keller has this, this great line that maybe some of you have heard in this talk he was doing on evangelism. Uh, many of you have seen it. Uh, he says, sometimes, like I was saying, we'll, we'll look at people and say, there's no way they'll become a Christian. He says, they are, are not the kind of person who would become a Christian. And he says, oh, oh, they're not the kind of person that would become a Christian, but you are. Hmm. You are. And he points out that, humanly speaking, there's no reason that you should be a Christian either. It makes no sense to say, well, they want to become a Christian, but I would. Think about the pride that that would take to say that. He's saying it's a miracle that you are a Christian. It's a miracle. And so how could you look at anyone else and say, well, they want to become a Christian? God can powerfully work in anyone's heart. And so friends, to to the point about kindness above, how do we grow in kindness? Well, it starts here by remembering God's kindness towards us, that that we weren't so lovable or so uh, easy to love or so smart that we just figured it out. No, God was incredibly kind towards us, and he gave us this gift of salvation. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's not something that we earned or figured out or give to ourselves. It comes from the Lord. And so if he's done it for us, we have hope that he can and will do it for other people. And so God's servants need to be intentional. We, we need to be kind and we need to remain hopeful all the while remembering the gospel Remembering what God has done for us. He's transformed our hearts through no work of our own. We weren't seeking after him. We weren't uh, chasing him down. He came after us and rescued us. So friends, we have a chance to remember those truths today as we come to take communion. Again, it's a little different that we don't 
uh, take it all together in the same room because we're watching in our homes. But I want to invite you to grab the elements, an element representing the body of Jesus and an element representing the blood of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples to do this in remembrance of him as often as they gather to remember the cross, to remember the gospel that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And so we we take now the elements representing his broken body and his shed blood as a reminder that we have been purchased by God. We have been rescued from sin and death. We've been adopted into the family of God. And so this is a chance for us to remember who God is and what he's done for us. It's also a chance to confess our sins, to be honest about what's in our hearts so that we can receive God's grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we look to you now and we thank you for the cross and the gift of your son. And we admit that we have sinned. There are things that we think and say and do that are against you and your ways. We sin against you, we sin against other people, God, and we need your forgiveness. We want to flee sin. We want to run towards you in repentance. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you have provided a way of salvation. You took our sin upon yourself and bore it on the cross. You died in our place so that those who trust in you would be forgiven and redeemed and restored. And so we thank you for the assurance that we have that we are forgiven and cleansed through the work of Jesus. It's you we remember this morning. Amen. Well, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember you this morning. Amen.